Well, good morning, Next Level Church. It is good to see all of you here. Second service. Woohoo! Glad you guys made it out to NLC. This is our Who I Am, Who I Want to Be series. And two weeks ago, we started talking uh, about this idea that there is a gap in our lives. And maybe some of us realize the gap. Maybe some of us aren't aware of the gap. Maybe some of us are living in denial of the gap. But the truth is, for every single one of us in certain areas of our life, there's this gap that exists, this gap between who I am and who I want to be. And so two weeks ago, we kind of launched into this series and, and discovered this gap and began to talk about how we're going to close that gap. And then we decided that for the next four weeks, then we're going to zero in on specific areas of our life where this gap exists. Well, if you were here last Sunday, you know that we talked about stuff, the stuff I have and the stuff I want and the gap that exists in our life and what we do about it between the stuff I have and the stuff that I want. Well, today, as you've heard, we're talking about our job. Our workplace. And this morning, if you want to put a title on this bad boy, here's what I would call it. The job I have and the job that I want. And for a lot of us, there is a huge gap that exists between the job that we have and the job that we want. The truth is, every one of us will spend the majority of our waking lives at work. See, here's the thing about living in the American culture in the year 2008. It's that work is no longer the other thing that we do. Work is no longer this categorized thing that exists in some other area of our life so that we can actually have a life. Work, for most all of us, is a large part, is a majority of our life. And yet, listen to this statistic, 6 in 10 Americans are dissatisfied with their work. 6 in 10. That means that a majority of us listening right now are dissatisfied in some way with our work. And listen to this. According to a website called stress.org, apparently there are websites that measure things like stress. According to a website called stress.org, the number one source of health problems in our life is caused by dissatisfaction at work. More than money problems or family. And listen to this. The leading cause for job dissatisfaction is not feeling valued by a boss or a supervisor. So let's roll some of that logic out in our life, okay? If that's not a gap, then I don't know what is. Okay, the number one cause of job dissatisfaction is our boss, and the number one cause of health problems in people is our job. So it really is true that we could say with a clear conscience that our boss is killing us. We've all been there, though, haven't we? We've all, we all know what it is to walk into our workplace and go, man, you know, if I was in charge of this place, you know, if my boss, if he would just, or if my boss could just do this or that. And, I mean, we've all, we've all felt that frustration, I'm sure, from time to time with our supervisor, with our boss, where we went, man, I, you know, you can close this gap for me between the job I have and the job I want. If my boss would just be less of a whatever, you fill in the blank there, it's like, you know, we're thinking, man, if my boss would just come to next level, if my boss would just stop going to next level, no, 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 no. Right? I mean, we've all felt this job dissatisfaction. Well, what do we do? What do we do about this gap that exists between the job I have and the job I want? Well, I would say one option is quit and keep quitting. Sure, we can do that. We can just jump through our whole life from job to job to job to job to job and basically go, you know what, There's just, I just can't do it. And Everybody else has got the problem. I always say this. If the whole world's got a problem with you, the whole world ain't the problem. So that's one option. Option number two is we turn our feeler off and we go, you know what, forget it. I'll just come in, I'll just be a robot, I'll just go through the motions, I'll just do my job 
Or option number three, I think, is that we figure out a way to start viewing our job differently. We start transitioning, switching the way we perceive our job. And here's what I think. I think that as we study this book, the Bible, what we're going to discover this morning is every single one of us have the power. We have the ability to change our job this morning from here without ever changing organizations, changing companies, without ever praying our boss dead, without doing any of those things. Each one of us have the ability to change our job in our workplace this morning. Each one of us have the ability to close the gap between the job I have and the job I want. And, you know, here's the thing. Even if we're the boss, because I recognize that there are probably some of us listening right now who you are the boss. You're the president of the country, company. You're the CEO. You're the, you're the entrepreneur who went out on your own. But the reality is every one of us, even if we're the boss, answer to somebody. Because, see, as the boss, we have to answer to the customer. They're our supervisor. And if they don't like what's going on, they'll fire us by not doing business with us anymore. So, see, none of us are exempt from this conversation we're going to have this morning about the job we have and the job we want. What do we do about it? That's what we're talking about this morning. If you brought your Bible, turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 24. If you don't have your Bible, that's fine. The verses will be on the screens around me. I know you'll be able to follow along because I want us to look at a situation, look at a, a story that we read about in the Bible of a guy that most all of us are familiar with. It was the great King David of ancient Israel. And we're actually going to a pre-king time that before David was king, he was kind of like the king elect, that he was the king appointed, that in those days the prophet would come and would anoint a new king. Well, David had been anointed by the prophet Samuel to become king. And so basically he was, his job, his role in the country was to, to serve the king, to learn from the king, to honor the king, to, to glean from the king, to be near the king, the present king, so that one day he could become the king that God would want him to become. Well, if ever there was a guy in the Bible who had an employment problem, who had a negative work environment, it was David, as we're about to see, because not only was, did he have a problem with his boss, but his boss happened to be a king. And not only was his boss just a king, his boss was a God-appointed king. And not only was his boss a God-appointed king, he was a God-appointed king gone crazy. So let's look at this together. First Samuel chapter 24, look at verse 1, where we pick up the story. Basically, um, David is on the run. That All David wanted to do was serve Saul and honor Saul and work for Saul and learn from Saul and just be a good employee. And all Saul, the king, his employer, wanted to do was kill him. Look at this. Verse, verse 1, First Samuel 24 says, After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Okay, if you want somebody dead, you get 3,000 soldiers with you and then you go on a manhunt, that's a good way to kill somebody. Well, that's what he's doing. David's boss wants him dead. Again, this is a hostile work environment. Okay, look at this, verse 3. He came to the sheep pens along the way. And a cave was there. So he's hunting David down. And this is where the story gets a little PG-13. If you have young ears, you might want to cover them at this point. But this is Scripture, and we're just going to go there. So you'll have to uh, for, forgive the awkwardness because God wrote it. Here we go. He came to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there. And Saul went in <clears throat> to relieve himself. 
If you don't read the Bible, I'm telling you, you've got to read this stuff. It's really in there. Look it up. I'm telling you. So, okay, all of the guys are there, all 3,000 soldiers. We're all marching, you know. We're all on a manhunt trying to find David. And apparently Saul's got to go potty. So he's like, all right, boys, hold on, hold on. Everybody stop. You know, wait, wait, wait. The boss has got to go to the bathroom. So Saul wanders into this cave. Well, here's a divine coincidence for you. David and his men were actually hiding out in that very cave. They were standing on the toilet, right? <laughs> and they're, they're hiding out in the bathroom. When Saul comes in, this is best case scenario for David. Because Saul is amazingly vulnerable right now. And David has never been more amazingly powerful than in this cave, in this moment. Look at verse 4. David's guys pick up on this. They hear Saul coming in all by himself. Verse 4. The men said to David, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I'll give your enemies into your hand for you to deal with as you wish. They're like, David... This is the moment we've been waiting for. The boss is in the can, and we can out him. Look what David does. David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now, theologians who study kings going to the bathroom in the Old Testament tell us that... (laughs) Listen, that's why I'm a pastor, not a theologian. Uh, I'm just, I just tell funny stories. These guys study bathroom habits. So <laughs> theologians tell us that Saul in those days as a king, as a leader of an army, would have been uh, quite arrayed and, and splendid with a lot of robes and that sort of thing. So they tell us that he would have left one of his outer robes off to the side and then moved into the inner sanctuary there uh, to do the deal. And so it would be possible in a really dark cave for David to sneak up and to cut off a portion of the robe without Saul being aware of it. So look what happens, verse 5. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken. What? For having cut off a corner of his robe. And he goes back to his men and he says, The Lord forbid that I should do a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. Or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of Of the Lord? What? David, this is... This is your shot. Your boss is a punk. And and God set this thing up so that you can once and for all tell your boss where to go. Once and for all... You got him. You got him. David, this is the moment. Employee versus employer. He's going down, Dave. Take the shot. And yet David comes back and he's all feeling guilty for cutting off a piece of his robe. Do you not know that Saul wants you dead? Do you not know that your employer does not have your best interests in mind, David? And yet that's where he finds himself. In this place where he's conscience-stricken, what was going on? What plane was David living on? What perspective did David have on his boss, his authority? That apparently lots of us know nothing about. Look at verse 7. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to go and attack Saul. 
his men were like, fine, man, if you're going to be a chicken about it, we'll go take care of him ourselves. And David was like, no, no, you cannot do that. And then it says Saul left the cave and went on his way. But look at verse 8. This is amazing. Then David went out of the cave. After Saul had left the restroom, he goes out, and David follows him out. And he calls out to Saul, and Scripture tells us he held up the piece of robe, and he says, My Lord, the King. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. That means that he went like this. That's, that's an act of humility, an act of submission. And he submits himself to the very guy that's trying to kill him? What? Look at verse 9. He said to Saul, why, why do you listen when men tell you that I'm bent on killing you? This day you've seen with your own eyes that the Lord has delivered you into my hands in that cave. And my friends wanted me to kill you. But I told my friends, I will not lay my hands on God's anointed. See, David had a whole different perspective about this whole employer-employee relationship thing. He had a whole different perspective. David understood that even though it didn't make sense in his natural mind, even though it didn't make sense in his heart, even though if he were God, he would lay it out all different, David understood in no uncertain terms that there is a chain of command, there is a line of order, and that God is up to something greater in our workplaces than we can even imagine or understand. And David understood that. His perspective was, you know what? I am not going to touch it. Because I think God wants to do something here. And i got to get out of the way so God can do something. Rather than choosing to harm his boss, David chose to honor him. He chose to honor him. And I can't help but think, that there are some of us listening right now who are or have faced situations in our life where we've had a boss, we've had a supervisor, we've had an authority figure over us who has done us wrong, who has harmed us. Maybe, just maybe, we can take a lesson from David today. Maybe it's possible for us to change the job we have and the job we want by figuring out how to change our perspective. And rather than in, in approaching our, our work with dishonor in our heart, we can, we can somehow find a way to honor that which has been placed above us in our heart few things I want you to notice this morning about the story. If you're taking notes, you can follow along there in your bulletin. Number one, notice that honor begins in the heart. Honor always starts in the heart. Long before Saul came into the cave that day, long before Saul entered the cave, David had already purposed in his heart that if a moment like this ever arose, what he would do. It didn't, it didn't take being in the bathroom together to know I'm not going to get him. 
He had purposed in his heart long before this. No, there's something going on here that's greater than I can understand. There's something bigger than me. God's hand is in this, and God is at play. God is at work, and I'm going to submit to that, and I'm going to honor that which God has appointed above me. And see, honor, you guys, as we start talking about our our job or our workplace, and maybe you've dealt with this, or you're dealing with this, honor starts right here. It starts in our heart. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at this verse. This is incredible. Paul says that that this whole deal of digging into our heart, digging into our mind, and making sure that we examine where the honor is coming from, this is huge. Look what he says. We demolish arguments. That's a strong word, demolish. And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, And we take captive, strong language, demolish, take captive, every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In other words, Paul was saying, listen, when it comes to to honor, when it comes to these situations in our life, it's up to us to drill down deep. And I want to challenge every one of us this morning to drill down deep, to let God drill down deep into our heart and challenge us with this question. Do I have honor in my heart? So, Matt, what are you trying to say? I mean, does that mean that I'll just become a a mindless yes man or woman? No, I don't think so. Does that mean I never question, I never challenge? Does that mean I never leave? No, I don't think so. I, I really don't. I think there's a way to challenge. I think there's a way to question. I think there's a way to leave a job with honor. See, because this isn't about the external to-do list mumbo-jumbo. This is a hard thing, guys. This is us drilling down going, i got to honor God. Why? Because something greater is going on. Paul talks about it. He says, there's a testimony of Christ at stake here. I believe that every one of us are in the job that we are in right now, not just for the job that we do. I believe with all of my heart that God has us right where we are in this moment because of him. The job we do is how we get a paycheck. But the witness, the testimony we leave in our workplace, with our peers, with our coworkers, with our boss, that's why we're there. So that at the end of the day, people in our workplace would look on and go, you know what, I don't understand. We got people coming in the side. You're going to want to close that door. Thank you very much. Seriously. Come on in. <laughs> Trust me, it's more awkward for me than it is for all of you. Um, wow. Mom, is that you? <laughs> um, <laughs> what was I talking about? Seriously, the Giants game? <laughs> Who's the other team playing tonight? The, the, oh, yeah, that's whatever. <laughs> Let's bring the worship team back out here, everybody. See, honor starts in the heart, I think. <laughs> Man, this was such a great message, too. Um, but here's the second thing I want us to notice. Notice number two, that every day includes a choice. On that day, in that cave, David had a choice to make. Was he going to 
was he going to choose to honor in that moment? He had a choice to make on that day. And as we're going to find out in a minute, he had a choice to make on a lot of days. And I believe that every one of us, every single day when we go into our workplace, we have a choice that we can make. And that choice is this. Will I choose to honor that which has been placed in authority over me and in so doing uh, communicate to God that I trust him? I trust him that something greater is going on here? Or will I choose dishonor and in so doing communicate, God, I don't think you're big enough to handle this, and I'm going to have to control this and take it into my own hands. See, every day we're faced with a choice. A choice to say, God, I choose to honor you by honoring that which has been placed in authority over me. And it starts in our heart. Number three, notice this, that God wants us to lead in honor among our peers. God wants us to lead in this honor thing among our peers. Did you catch it? David's friends were not at all happy that he was doing this. They weren't happy that he was honoring the king. But David knew that his decision to honor that which had been placed in authority over him would not be popular with his friends. It would not be okay with his buddies. He would have to go through ridicule, I'm sure. But David said, no, I choose to lead. I will set the example for my friends, what about us? Do we have the courage to, to lead like that? Do we have the courage to lead in this area of honor? And I'm not talking about the whole weird, spooky, kooky stuff and wearing the T-shirt and the bracelet and leave it in the car. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about us when it comes to honoring our employer, honoring the company we work for, positioning ourselves in such a way that we say, you know what, I choose to honor my authority, because I think God is up to something greater than I can see. Number four, notice that honor has a reward attached to it. Honor has a reward attached to it. Unfortunately, we live in a right now culture, and we think that if we can't see the net gain or the reward within a few minutes or a few hours or even a a few weeks... That it's not there, don't we? It's like, no, bro, I, cho- I did that. I honored him one time. I kept my mouth shut in a meeting one time, and I got nothing. Right? We kind of, we sort of put it in our, the American thing slips in there, and we're all like, it's been like 12 days. There's no lottery tickets. There's no flowers being delivered to my house. Where's the reward, right? But see, here's what we have to understand. God's timing, when it comes to this principle at work in our life, is so different than ours I wish that I could tell you that the end of the story with David was that from that moment on, Saul and David became fishing buddies, and Saul honored him and repented and said he was sorry. But you know what? That's not true. In fact, just two chapters later, chapter 26, it happens again. God apparently puts the whole army of Saul in a deep sleep. They're all just passed out. And David and his guys, one of his guys' names is Abishai, they come up on this scene, and they're like, this is it. Booyah, here we go. And Abishai, one of David's leading guys, turns to David and he's like, David, let's get him. This is our shot, okay? You blew it in the toilet, but now you got it, man. This is your chance. And look at what David says, verse 9. This is incredible. But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And then in verse 11, look at this, what David says. The Lord forbid, the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now, Get the spear and the water jug that are near his head and let's go. Why, why did he take the spear and the water jug? 
Because he wanted yet another example to be able to say to Saul. And we actually read this at the end of the chapter. David stands up and he holds up the spear when all the, everybody wakes up in the water jug. And he says, Saul, I'm telling you, I did it again. I'm not trying to harm you. And I believe that some of us are facing situations. Maybe it's in our workplace. Maybe it's in our home. Where there's this, there's this thing going on. And we have a choice to make in our heart of whether we're going to choose honor and trust or choose dishonor and control. And I believe so strong. I'm telling you, you guys, I have such an urgency in my heart this morning that God wants to do business with some of us because some of us have been holding dishonor in our heart for that which has been placed in our life. And some of us need to do some serious get down with Jesus time. And we need to say, God, I am sorry for holding dishonor in my heart. And may I go from this place and hold honor. That's what God desires. That's what he wants. Why? Because there's more at stake. There's more at stake than just our job. There's more at stake than just the popularity of our friends. What's at stake is the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's what's at stake in our lives. Will you stand with me this morning? I want to give us an opportunity to enter into another time of worship here just for a couple more minutes as we close the service today. And as we do, I want to ask a couple of questions. My first question is this. If you've been holding dishonor in your heart, is that you? And will you lay it down? Will you surrender that dishonor that you've been holding in your heart? It's possible to leave. It's possible to question. It's possible to challenge and still honor the Lord in the process. That's what God would want from His people. He doesn't want us to just get walked on or abused or pushed down. That's not God's desire. That's not what I'm saying. But what God would desire is that we find a place in our heart of honor and trust. That something greater is going on. My second question is this. Have you been abused? Have you been hurt or wounded by an authority figure in your life? Maybe it was a boss. Maybe it was a supervisor. Maybe it was a leader or a pastor or a teacher, or a coach, or a spouse. Can I just encourage you during this next few minutes as we worship together, there's healing in the name of Jesus. There's healing. See, some of us, I feel so strongly about this, we have been so wrapped up, tied up, pent up with this unforgiveness in our heart that's led us to dishonor that there's no way in the world we can step into the future and into the, the reality God has for us because we have been just clinging to unforgiveness. But God wants to set you free this morning. But it will only happen when we choose to let go and say, God, I choose to forgive. That's when we step into the healing that's available in the name of Jesus. 
So if you fall into either of those categories this morning, as we worship, as we enter in here in the last few minutes together, can I just encourage you once again to, maybe you want to close your eyes if you can, just picture the face of Jesus saying, you're forgiven. Will you forgive like I've forgiven you? We're going to sing this song. It says, your name, the name of Jesus is a strong and mighty tower. And some of us need to run to that strong tower today. We need to say, God, I've been holding dishonor, but now I hold honor. And I will stand in the strong tower that is the name of Jesus, that is my strong shelter. God, I choose to forgive, and I run to that name that's above every name, the name of Jesus, that is my strong tower and my firm shelter.